The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by HubSpot. Imagine growing a business with high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, and wildly happy customers. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. Hello and welcome to another exciting episode of Negotiate Anything. I'm Kwame Christian. I'm a business lawyer by trade, but my passion lies in teaching you the keys of persuasion and conflict resolution. My goal is to empower you to engage in these conversations confidently and effectively by not only sharing what works, but by also uncovering why these techniques work through revealing the psychological principles that lie behind persuasion. This podcast is brought to you by the American Negotiation Institute, where we put on workshops that are designed to make your difficult conversations easier. These leadership workshops focus on conflict management and negotiation and will give you the confidence you need to get more of what you want without jeopardizing relationships. Check out the link in the description if you're interested in learning more. Also, before we get started, I want to give you a reminder that my book is coming out the week of November 4th. This book will help you to overcome the fear and anxiety that comes with difficult conversations. It will also provide you with a simple, practical framework that you can use to approach every single difficult conversation, whether it's in the boardroom or the dining room table. The title of the book is like no other negotiation book because the book is like no other negotiation book. Do you want to know what the title is? I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> you have to wait until November 4th. It will retail at $19.95, but for that week, the first week it's on sale, for you listeners, the ebook version will be at a special Negotiate Anything discount of $0.99. Cents. So make sure you get it that week. Our guest today is Karen Briscoe. Karen is the principal owner of Huckabee Briscoe Conway Group, HBC, with Keller Williams. Her team has sold more than 1,500 homes valued at more than $1.5 billion. The HBC Group has been recognized by the Wall Street Journal as one of the top 250 realtor teams in the United States. She's also the host of the weekly 5-Minute Success Podcast. I had Karen on the show today to talk about the keys to real estate negotiation. I know you're going to get a lot out of this one, so without further ado... Let's jump into the interview. Karen, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I love talking about negotiations. Oh, I'm excited to have you. And this was a specific listener request to have somebody to come in on and talk about real estate. So we are really excited to have you today. And that is my specialty. So it works out well. Exactly. <laughs> Perfect. So how about you start off by telling us a little bit about yourself and what you do? So my background, I was in commercial real estate, and that's where I feel like I cut my teeth on negotiations. The last 16 years, I've been on the residential side and have found that the negotiations are different in the sense that there's so much more emotional involved. And the person, really just about anybody even commercial real estate agents and lawyers and people you think who might be able to be objective, they take it so much more personally. So it's a completely different type of negotiations, even though the structure of the deal and the, the analysis of the deal, analysis of the market has similar aspects to commercial, but the actual process is very much more. You have to consider the emotional and personal side. That's really, really interesting. And I think from the outside looking in, it might not be that obvious to people who are not in commercial um, residential real estate that applies. But then once you explain it like that, it makes complete sense. And it 
probably adds a, another layer of complexity for these conversations. Well, it also makes it more interesting because uh -huh. when you're looking at it from the commercial side, it's all about the deal and how the deal can get structured. And sometimes you can just get down into the weeds with, you know, the financial analysis and the lawyers and just those kind of aspects. But when you're in the residential side, I find that's what's interesting is helping people come to the agreement or come to a conclusion in their negotiations while also considering this whole emotional element. Perfect. So when we spoke before, we talked about three specific negotiation techniques that you wanted to talk about today. Can you review those for us real quick? So I would say one of the most common is what is commonly known as meet in the middle, and I call it meet me in St. Louis. So when parties are apart, the most common place to go is somewhere in the middle. And so where this is important to think about when you're determining your strategy, obviously it depends on whether you're on the buyer's side or the seller's side. The buyer side, in most cases, the offer they make if the parties were to split the difference between that and the list price, that's where, in most cases, the buyer's trying to go. And in determining what to even list a house for, it's very helpful to think about where the market may be going and what buyers may offer so that then you can prepare your client for the possibility of this concept of meeting in the middle. And Sometimes people say to me, well, Karen, you just gave it away. You're like, oh, I just told everybody your negotiating strategy. I'm like, well, I didn't make this one up. <laughs> this is the most common. And you'll you'll hear things like split the difference. Let's each give some and see if we can come together. And, and all of those translate to this idea of there's this space. Some people call it an envelope, but there's this space. And where it overlaps is often somewhere in the middle, and that's where the parties are most likely to come to an agreement. Now, there's exceptions to everything, and obviously we're considering a property that's been on the market, had ample exposure, has ample number of showings, and you get an offer, and there's negotiation. If you're in a very hot market, then, you know, it's a completely different strategy. I'm talking about a, more of a normal market. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. And do you, based on your experience, when you've been working with other agents on the other side, do you feel as though they have a decent understanding of this reality? It is the most common strategy. So you will hear these kind of remarks in the process. It will come out more frequently the closer you get. So it depends on how far apart you, you start. Most people aren't necessarily thinking they're meeting in the middle. And then when you get closer and closer and closer, I remember my business partner, she was negotiating at upper bracket home. And so they were what appeared to be very far apart. And when she told me where they were after several rounds of negotiations, I said, you only have to split the difference and you've come to an agreement. And the reason why split the difference works so well is because both parties are giving, right? There's some people have said kind of a proverb that both parties feel like they've given everything they've got. The buyer feels like, you know, they paid too much and the seller feels like they gave it away. That's when you've actually come to a market price. Mm -hmm. And so that's why meeting in the middle and splitting the difference works so well, because both parties feel like they've given something. So that actually segues to the second strategy. And that is the signaling strategy of how you position yourself in negotiations. And in 
whatever the list price is and then the offer price, in most cases, the parameters, and we're, we're talking about real estate, and it varies from different markets, so you really have to kind of study your market. But I'm going to use 10% because that's, in most cases, the biggest spread that will the market will allow for a seller to price their house or their property at and have a reasonable opportunity to get a buyer to make an offer. Because if it's priced further outside that 10% envelope, then what happens is, is the buyers, they, well, we live in, I'm practice in Virginia. And so I like to say in Virginia, the buyers have good manners and they don't want to offend the seller. And so when Sometimes sellers will say, well, just tell them to make an offer. Or I want to leave room for negotiations. The reason why that strategy sometimes doesn't work as well is because they've left too much room for negotiations. And for the buyer to feel like they're going to meet in the middle, they feel like they have to come in so low to get the seller to come down that they won't do it. They're going to wait for the seller to move to the market. So assuming that we're in this 10% window or whatever the market window is for the typical variance between list price and contract price, offer price, then whatever the buyer comes in at, the seller needs to make, and well, actually both sides, but it's the seller that gets to do it first. The signaling to the other side, they need to make the largest concession first. And this is really hard for people because that is, in most people, they believe that's counterintuitive. They're like, no, I have to leave room for negotiations. No, I have to, you know, I'm giving away too much in the beginning or whatever. There's all these things, limiting things that are holding them back. The reason why you want to make the biggest concession first, well, several reasons. One, psychologically, you're showing that you're working towards them. You're meeting them in the middle. You're going towards them. If you make just a a minor concession, then oftentimes that's seen as offensive. Like you're not being realistic. You're not really working with the offer. You're not really respecting the fact that the, the buyer made an offer. And so making the largest concession first is a key aspect to the strategy. And then depending on what the counterpart comes back at, then you make the next one smaller and generally about 50% smaller. So like, let's say if the first concession was, say, 40000 then the next concession would be in something around 20000 or less. So the idea is you want to give less and less so that at some point it becomes obvious that you, every time they go back to the well, I'm sure you've heard of that. Every time you go back to the well, there's less and less, mm-hmm. right? And that sends the message that you're getting closer and closer to what the number is that you're willing to do. Now, I've seen this work out so many times. I've also seen it work out where the client wanted to do it their own way. And and then I've had have to, after it doesn't work, then oftentimes they'll, they'll come back and say, okay, explain to me again how this works. It's a little bit like you're a child who's getting close to their mealtime or their dinner time, and they start asking for a snack. So if you hold out and give them vegetables and water and everything. And then at the last minute, give them the cookie. They're going to go, oh, 
okay, all I got to do is continue to whine <laughs> and <laughs> pester and nag and have a little temper tantrum and you're going to give me the cookie. So you have to do it the other way around. You have to give them what you're going to give them in the beginning and then give them less and less and less. Does that make sense? Absolutely. One of the ways I think about it is like a capacity for pain. So when you're giving a concession, it should hurt. It should hurt. And so at the beginning of the negotiation, you're not in any pain. And then just as a sign of good faith, you make a big concession. It's like, oh, that hurts, but I'm willing to do this to try and get this deal done. And then if somebody counters, every concession should hurt more. And so you're having less and less capacity for pain. It's like that first one hurt a lot, but I was willing to do it because I wasn't in any more pain. If you're going to ask me to do a little bit more or be a little bit more flexible, it's going to hurt more and I'm going to be less willing to put myself in more pain. So I could do a lot of pain at the beginning, but every time I want to signal to you that this hurts and I won't be able to do much more of it. And that there's not as much available at this time. So this is one of the third strategies you and I talked about. And I find that sometimes people will say things like, that's best and, best and final. They don't have any more. I don't have any more to give. I don't have any more to do. You've gotten everything I've got. And they say those things and those are fighting words. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that oftentimes gets the other side to put up their dukes and go, well, I've done everything I can do. And, and so what I encourage people to say, even if sometimes I do it for them because they can't do it for themselves, is I just say, at this time, at this time where we are at, this is what we can do. See what you can do, and then I'll see what I can do. And that doesn't say we're going to do more. It just says this is all we can do right now. And you can be very clear about that, but it doesn't draw a line in the sand, which I find backs people in the corner and causes them to then hold their position. And, you know, you may have people very, both very close to the line and you're sitting there going, don't you see, it's just right there. You just got a little toe and you're in, you're there, but they don't see it because they get blinders on. So that's why our language as negotiators is very important. And oftentimes people don't understand that the things they're saying are actually can be detrimental to their negotiation strategy. So that's where the experienced negotiator knows to step in and say, well, at this time, this is where we are. And to help people see that things could change. So you see what you can do, and then maybe I can see what I can do on my end. And that keeps also the spirit of negotiations open. And I find that that has a better environment when I see people take really hard and fast positions, that's when sometimes it doesn't go as well. We are now offering conflict management and negotiation workshops for companies. If you like the content here and you think your team would benefit from getting a customized seminar, then all you need to do is email me or go to the American Negotiation Institute's website to learn more. And now, back to the show. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by HubSpot. More to-dos, less time, and so many tools to keep track of. Doing business can be hard, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You just need HubSpot. 
Their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, higher quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. This is great. And I love the simplicity of all three of these strategies. And let's dig deeper into um, meeting in the middle, because I think that's something that people can kind of oversimplify. So they say, okay, meet in the middle, I understand that. But sometimes from the outside looking in, you might just say to yourself, why should I go through this whole song and dance? If I know what's up, the other person knows what's up, why don't we just start in the middle and end there? So to that one person who might be saying that, what do you say to them? Well, now, if you're talking about a situation where there's multiple interests in the property and it's a really hot market, this really doesn't apply. So you're going to have to do what you have to do in order to win the deal. The reason why is, is I have found when buyers offer what the seller wants, then the seller leaves wondering if they could have gotten more. And I find that you have to, in most cases, have some negotiations. There has to be something where people feel like they have each given and taken. And what I find happens, let's say the buyer offers the list price. I keep telling the seller to be happy. They're trying to be happy, but they're going, well, but what if I could have gotten 10,000 more? And then when the home inspection comes around, then they go, well, I'm not doing anything. And then the buyer's going, I just paid you full price. You should fix (laughs) the air conditioner. So that's the spirit is not as positive environment. And I find that both parties need to have a little bit of negotiation. So everybody needs to give some and everybody needs to take some. And on the buyer side, same thing. I found buyer's remorse is more likely to set in when the buyer feels like they have given everything they've got and the seller just keeps taking. And that is not a good environment to be in either. We, again, when both parties, that kind of loose definition I gave, when both parties feel like they've had a little pain, use use that. When both parties feel like, oh my gosh, I could have gotten more if I was a seller and a buyer feels like, oh, I overpaid a little bit. When they both feel that, then that's usually a market price. And that's usually where we're in the best space for all parties. Exactly. And essentially, the issue that we're dealing with there is psychology. We want to make sure that the people want to, they feel like they did their part. And a number of studies, this comes from behavioral economics, they found that all animals, including humans, prefer to feel as though they have worked for their food. It doesn't feel good to not put something into it. What's interesting, fun fact, is that in all of the laboratory studies that they've done on this, it showed that animals typically like to work and feel as though the food is a reward, except one animal, and that animal is the house cat, interestingly enough. Oh, <laughs> But it makes sense when you think about it, right? It's all for me. I'm the queen. The other thing about real estate, it is a very involved transaction, and there are multiple aspects to it. Whereas other negotiations, they're one and done kind of thing. So I always remind people, you don't know whether later in the process you may need something from the other side. And so I always want to keep everybody as much as possible in a working together type of frame of mind. And again, that's why I think this environment works better. 
Perfect. And now let's touch again on the signaling. One of the things that Chris Voss mentioned in his book, he was a former lead FBI hostage negotiator. And he said when he signals, in addition to making the signaling by making each offer smaller, a smaller concession, he also suggests you make it more specific. And so maybe the first concession is, like you gave in the example, 40000 so flat 40,000 ending in zeros. And then the next one might be 22,000. So not exactly half, but a little bit more specific. And then the next concession might be $11,332, you know? And so as you are getting incrementally smaller, you get more specific. So it kind of gives the person the impression that there is a specific number in mind that you're getting to and we're coming up to it. So in that example, yes, absolutely. I agree with that strategy. I would say, though, you would be under 20,000 because you want to be something near half of that half. So again, setting up the strategy. The other thing you could do is you could bring other things in. Like you can say, well, and I want you to leave the Peloton bike or I want you to leave the the patio furniture or I want to have I want to move the settlement date. So most negotiations do end up about price. And so that is important to remember once you've gotten all of the basic terms, I would say at least 75, maybe 80 percent of negotiations on real estate is price. So that's the other strategy to that is to as a buyer, I always say, well, give all the things you can that don't cost you money um, first. And then that way, then you could go, but I gave you your settlement date. I gave you all of these other things. And so then you're coming into a place where if you need to make some adjustments, you may have some things that you can adjust with. So yes, I agree with the using unusual numbers. And along the same lines, I think using unusual numbers is a great strategy because it stands out as well. Like if you're going to, for example, this is if if you're going to escalate, like let's say you're in a multiple offer situation, I recommend unusual numbers to escalate by, and I recommend using the house number of the property. If you can incorporate those numbers somehow, mm-hmm. you will get the attention faster than anything else. My daughter actually did this. She lives at Austin, and she was she'd lost out on two houses, and so the third house, she said, "Mom, do you have any ideas?" <laughs> I said, yeah, actually, I do. I've only done about 1,500 of these, so thank you for asking. (laughs) And I said, use the house address. And along with a lot of other great strategies, like write a letter and include a picture of your dog and all those emotional things. But I said, use the house address because your offer will stand out. And she did. And that was one of the things they said that they noticed right away that it was different. Karen, that is brilliant. It's brilliant on a number of levels, but it fits perfectly into what psychological studies have shown us about familiarity, familiarity and similarity. It makes people more persuasive. So, for instance, in the book Influence by uh, Cialdini, which was one of the most pivotal books in persuasion literature in history, he talks about liking as one of the principles of influence. If you like somebody more, you're going to give them more of what they want just because you like them and you like people who are similar to you. So for me as a Kwame, I don't see many Kwamis out there, but when I do (laughs) see a Kwame, it's a big deal. 
that's really great. I like you a lot. And so maybe there are more Karens out there than Kwamis, but still there's a little bit of a connection out there if you see another Karen. And so by embedding that number into the offer, people are, there's a liking factor that applies. They like that offer a little bit more just because it's similar. That's like the whole Volkswagen thing, you know, where you honk every time you see one. That is absolutely so true. When people, buyers and their agents share feedback about a home, I encourage them to say as much as they can that's positive. And when it doesn't work for them, say the things in a way that it's like, well, your floor plan just doesn't work for our family. There's nothing wrong with your floor plan. It just doesn't work for my family, right? So Mm -hmm. then you're creating a spirit of, because if you go to make an offer on it and all you've been doing is bashing it, the perception of the seller is going to be, all you've been saying are all the things wrong with my house. Why are you buying it? And that sets off a bad spirit. I had a situation where I had a house started too high and we got realistic over time and got it down and we had a couple of low offers. And then we had an offer come in and the family had written this beautiful letter about how they saw their children riding their bikes in the cul-de-sac and raising them with the park behind and all of these things. They didn't really ever talk about the house because the house had a lot of issues. They never once brought up all the issues of the house. And really, in terms of numbers wise, it was not that great of an offer. But those sellers fell in love with those buyers and they sold them the house for what I believe was probably a below market price. And Along the same lines, you want your real estate agent to be nice to the other real estate agent because you and I talked about this a little bit. What people don't realize is it's the real estate agents that talk to each other. So they're the one that's going to convey the message of your client's offer. And so you want that relationship to be positive and strong. That's brilliant. I love this. Okay, and let's finish up with uh, reviewing your phrase, at this time, this deal won't work. One of the things that I've noticed, or not I've noticed, this isn't unique, (laughs) Um, what people have noticed is that if you create a scenario where you have entrenched yourself into a position, you put yourself in a place where you need to keep that position in order to save face. So if you say, absolutely not, this deal would never work, and then down the road, you've been provided with information that makes you realize, oh, that deal really should work. You've already committed so heavily that you feel as though you would look silly backing up. And so in um, the, I believe it was getting to yes, they introduced the idea of building the golden bridge for the opponent to or the counterpart to retreat on. And you are giving them wiggle room to back out gracefully from their position. And that's what you're doing here by saying at this time, you don't want to put yourself in a position where your ego is wrapped up with your hardline stance. So you say at this time, this doesn't work. And so you could always say, well, circumstances have changed. It's a different time. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) So time changes. And so the next day they may have thought about it. They slept on it at this time. They're willing to do this. And so That's why that strategy works so well. And you are so right. It is really an ego thing. It really is. And so that's where, as professional negotiators, we need to be aware that oftentimes our clients and customers and maybe the counterpart doesn't have the same level of experience. And they may be saying things that they don't understand could be detrimental to them. So that's where it's our responsibility to help them in terms of creating a position that's going to be beneficial for them. 
Absolutely. And then looking at it from the other side, let's say somebody hasn't listened to this podcast interview and they decide, they say hardline stance, no way, no deal. Last week, actually, I was in a big negotiation and the other side said, no, that won't work. And they were walking away. And so I essentially embedded the at this time language for them. <laughs> and so I said, listen, I know we want to try to make this work. You are talking to us because you want to try to make this work. How about we do this? Let's sleep on it. We're going to talk to our board and our team here and um, see what we can do. And you do the same. Talk to your team. And if something changes, let us know. And then you responded favorably to that and the negotiation continued. But sometimes what you'll find you'll have to do is even though you might do the right thing in that scenario, somebody in your counterpart when faced with the same situation might not do the right thing. And so by giving them that option, you're building the golden bridge and saying, hey, maybe it's not such a hard line. Just think about it. It's okay if we come back and continue this conversation. And sometimes it's our client. So (laughs) you and I talked about that. And I remember this one client and he was so offended by the offer. And I said, you know, maybe they're just having a case of bad manners. So we can have good manners. So we can respond in good faith with good manners and encourage them to come back and respond in a way that we can all work together. And it was like, oh, okay, he's just having a day. It's kind of like having a bad hair day. He's having a bad manner day. He's going to be better (laughs) tomorrow. And the other thing I remind people, I was like, okay, so we don't have any other offers. So if we really were in a situation where other offers were going to be presented, then yes, by all means, we'll go work with them. But if this is the offer we have, it's kind of love the one you're with, right? So (laughs) let's figure out how to love this one. Because if you start rejecting offers that we haven't had any, we may be, I'm sure you've heard statistically, the first offer is the best offer. And that's at least 80% of the case. So I always have to help my clients in a lot of cases understand. It's really often not the counterpart. It's the my clients that we're having to help understand Absolutely. how they should best respond for their benefit. And as a lawyer, I agree 100% with that <laughs> you one. this too? Yeah, absolutely. And I, this is a perfect segue into the next episode where we have our sparring session because one of the things I've noticed is that the people with whom we negotiate the most are the people who are closest to us. And we are closer to our clients than we are to the counterparts. And as a result, we're going to be negotiating with them a lot more. So in our sparring session, I'm going to be the client and Karen is going to work with me, even though I am being irrational and emotional. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. So listeners, keep an eye out for that one coming up next week. But Karen, before you go, I want you to uh, let the listeners know how they can keep in touch with you and um, learn a little bit more about what you're doing. So I am a real estate agent in the Northern Virginia, Washington, D.C. marketplace, Karen Briscoe, with the HBC Group at Keller Williams. So if you have any real estate needs, but I'm also the author of Real Estate Success in Five Minutes a Day and Commit to Get Lead 66 Day Challenge, which are both available on Amazon and Audible and Kindle. So you can check out the Five Minute Success website and the Five Minute Success podcast. And there's a lot of negotiating strategies in the books. There's also other strategies in terms of business development, lead generation, and building a business. But some of the best strategies are the ones about negotiations and how to consult and convert in terms of real estate transactions. Perfect. Thank you so much for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Thank you.